to the preaching and teaching ministry of Marion Oaks Assembly of God in Ocala, Florida. We invite you to open your Bible as we join Pastor Tim McIntyre for today's message for Bible study. I will start again today with a question to get you thinking along the lines of which I believe God wants to speak to us. What in your life brings you joy? What in your life brings you joy? If we were to actually write those down, take a survey, make a list, there probably would be a lot of stuff that brings us joy because it can be something as simple as a well-cooked meal. It could be something as simple as a nap when you really need one up to things that are a lot more important, a lot more complicated. But as you think about what brings you joy, what are the most important things that bring you significant joy, that bring you great joy in your life? Can I tell you, I believe with all my heart that God wants us to experience great joy. And the primary way we can do that is to be in right relationship with Him. And many people can give a testimony and say, yeah, that's true. You know, when I'm walking with Jesus, life gets rough sometimes, but you know, I I know that everything's good between me and God. It brings me great joy. We can also experience great joy when we're in healthy relationship with other people. And hopefully you have a lot of different people that you're in a good, healthy relationship with, and that relationship gives you joy. But you know, God created this world, and before sin entered in, He created it and He said it was good. If you study the account in Genesis of creation, every single day God did something good. He said it was good. It was good. It was good. And he got to the end and said it was very good. And so there's a lot of stuff in this world the way God intended it that we can enjoy. See, the word joy is in there. Enjoy. There are many things that God wants us to enjoy about His great creation. But can I tell you that in addition to all these things, one of the things that can really bring us a lot of joy is when we fulfill God's purpose for our lives. You know, God has a purpose for each and every one of us. There are certain things that are His purpose for everybody, but then there are certain things that are specific to individuals. Lots of teaching in the Word of God about how God gives His people gifts and abilities and callings in His life, ways that He wants to use them in His church and out there in the world. And you know, as we're pursuing God and the life that He has for us, and we fulfill His purpose for us, we can experience great joy. I want to talk about that a little bit today. We have been in a sermon series that we're wrapping up today entitled, Encounter Jesus' Mission. Encounter Jesus' mission. We've been talking about what was Jesus' mission and how does that impact our lives today. And and we've seen the key verse for that was Luke chapter 19, verse 10. It's not our text today, but Luke chapter 19, verse 10, it just says very succinctly, Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. He did a lot of things while he was here. He had some great teachings and great preaching. It was a great example. But his entire purpose, his mission was to come and make it possible for the lost to be found, for the lost to be saved. 
You know, we think of saved and salvation in the spiritual realm and spiritual context as one thing, but, but we understand the idea of salvation even from a, just a normal physical context. Something is wrong and it needs to be fixed. We're in a dangerous situation and we need to be saved from that. And as Jesus came to seek and save the lost, he's talking about the danger that we're in spiritually of being eternally separated from God. And that was the very reason he came. And as he spent those three, three and a half years as an adult traveling around with his disciples, preaching and teaching and healing and delivering people, it was to let them know that God had broken into history as part of his plan to set into motion those events that would make it possible for people to be set free from sin. And he went around proclaiming the kingdom of God is near. God's interaction and work in people's lives is near. Be ready for that. And we find that when Jesus brought that to a culmination, it was by going to the cross. That the cross wasn't a mistake, that the cross wasn't something that God hadn't foreseen. It wasn't a disruption of God's plan, but it was the very center of God's plan. Because Jesus came to die. And it was his death upon the cross that paid the price for our sins so that we could be saved from our sins. But then Jesus, after he rose again, ascended into heaven and he told his disciples that that message then needed to be taken to the rest of the world. And he commissioned them to do that, to be a part of his mission. That's why it's called the great co-mission. It's, it's going along with Jesus and his mission. And, and that's what we've been talking about for the last couple of weeks. And we've mentioned that as we talk about we are followers of Jesus today and we have a responsibility to take that message to our world. That Jesus came to seek and save the lost and he still does. And that the salvation he paid for on the cross is available to us today. We know as believers that that's something we've experienced and it's good news. That's what the word gospel means is good news. And that we need to share that with other people, but we hesitate. There's a number of reasons why we hesitate. It's usually out of fear. We don't like confrontation. We don't like to appear pushy. And we're just afraid that if we start talking to people about spiritual things and about Jesus, that's going to happen. But we talked to, we, we saw that in the first week. We looked at this, that that doesn't have to happen. We can share the gospel without being confrontational. We can share the gospel without being argumentative. In fact, we shouldn't be argumentative. That's not to say people won't ever disagree with us and get frustrated. If that's so, they're not open and we just need to back away. We also talked about the fact that the enemy would love to lie to us and say, you can't tell people about Jesus because you're not qualified. What do you mean you're not qualified? Well, I don't think, you know, he would lie to you and say, well, I, you know, God does not want to use you because of, and then fill in the blank. Because I don't know enough. Because my life's not perfect enough. Because it's been too short a time since I've come to know Jesus. You know, all these reasons. And we looked at the fact that, yes, we need to grow in our understanding of God's Word. And, and yes, we certainly want to grow in our relationship with God and become more the people He created us to be. But that God wants to use us right where we are. As we continue to grow and learn and develop. Sometimes people say, well, I don't know what to do. And that's what we looked at last week. What do you do? How do you go about sharing the gospel? And then we looked at the fact that God, some people would say, I don't know what to say. And that's what we're going to talk about today as we wrap this series up. And the title of the message today is Encounter Jesus Purpose. Encounter Jesus Purpose. 
As we said, Jesus commissioned his disciples to go out and tell the world. And that same commission extends all the way down to us today. And last week, we looked at a story in Luke chapter 10. And we see that Jesus sends out 72 people to take the good news, as it was known then, to places where he's going to go visit. And these weren't the major leaders. I mean, it was, Jesus is going to go there eventually, but he's not going there right now. It wasn't the 12 disciples. He'd already sent them out in Luke chapter 9. These are just ordinary, everyday disciples, followers of Jesus, that Jesus says, I want to use you too. And as we looked at that story, we see that Jesus says, you just need to go into these towns, focus on developing relationships with people. And as you develop those relationships with people, meet their needs as best you can. And he gave them power to actually heal people. But meet their needs, care about them, and share with them the good news that God's kingdom is near. Well, the passage we're going to look at today is the follow-up to that story. It's the ending of that story. It's when they come back to Jesus, the report they give to him. So let's take a look at Luke chapter 10. And we're going to start reading with verse 17. It says, The 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I've given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. So we have these 72 disciples that have been traveling around and, and, and ministering for Jesus, going into towns, establishing relationships, caring for people, meeting their needs, proclaiming that the kingdom of heaven is, is near. And they come back and they are so excited. They're full of joy because they had success. They did what Jesus called them to do. People's lives were changed. People were healed. People were delivered. They received the good news. Can I tell you that we can experience the same joy if we pursue Jesus' purpose for us, that purpose to share the gospel with the people in our world. But that raises an important question. What is the message that we need to share? What is the message that we need to share? Can I tell you the message has been, sa- been the same all throughout history. The details that are available, the details of God's plan have changed a little bit because it led up to Jesus and Jesus was the culmination of the plan and it was de- His death on the cross, as we already mentioned, that paid the price for our sins. So before that, you couldn't talk about the cross because nobody knew what the cross was. And now that we've gone this side of the cross, we look back to the cross... Because that's how God purchased our salvation. But that message has been the same all along. And that message has been repent and believe. Repent and believe. We see this stated very clearly when Jesus showed up. At the beginning of Mark's gospel in Mark chapter 1 verses 14 to 15. It says that Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. And saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. That word gospel, perhaps you've heard it before. 
Jesus mentions it here. It says he's come to proclaim it. And he tells people that they need to believe in the gospel. That word gospel literally means the good news. How many of you like good news? We all like good news. And the gospel is the greatest news that people can hear. How do we share the gospel today? Again, this is one of the main barriers that we face. I don't know that I can explain. I don't know that I know enough. I don't know that I can communicate well what this good news is. And I just want to tell you that it's not that complicated. And I hope we make that very, very clear today. But I would also say that it may take some effort to become familiar enough with the story that you can share it well. But that shouldn't hinder us. To be honest with you, most of us are willing to spend any amount of time and effort to learn things that we need to know to achieve certain goals in our lives. Whether it's something as significant as going to school so you can have a good occupation and make a good living to learning all the rules and all the buttons to push to play the latest video game. Not saying that's real significant, but it is to some people. But I'm just saying we will take the time to learn what's important to us. And can I tell you that as believers in Jesus Christ, we need to take the time to learn the simplistic steps and understanding the basic truths of the gospel so that God can use us to share Jesus with others. I'll be honest with you. I think sometimes we choose not to learn it. Because we don't want to be held responsible to do that. I just want to challenge you to get over that idea. And if you're not already so, become familiar with the truth of the gospel. So let me jump into some basic thoughts today. First of all, there are two necessities to receive salvation. We talk about salvation from our sins. Jesus died so we could have salvation. There are two necessities to receive salvation. And it's mentioned in that passage in Mark where it says that Jesus came... And he said, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe. And those are the two things. Those are the two necessities. Those are the things that are absolutely necessary for someone to receive salvation and be put back in right relationship with God. Repentance and belief. The first one is repentance. Now, I know repentance has kind of a negative connotation, but it doesn't have to be. It it shouldn't. What is repentance? I came across a great definition for repentance and I've made, I, I've deliberately asked them not to put it on the screen, screen because it's kind of long and I don't want you to get bogged down in it, but it's, it's, it's so clear. And I want you to listen to this and, and pay attention to what this is saying. Repentance is the activity of reviewing one's actions and feeling contrition or regret for past wrongs, which is accompanied by commitment to change for the better. Now it's a little bit long. But I think it so accurately described what repent, describes what repentance really is. It is the activity of reviewing, looking back on your actions and feeling contrition, feeling regret, feeling sorrow for the things that you've gotten wrong, for the things you've done wrong, for the things you've said wrong, for the things that you've harbored maybe in your heart and your mind. But it's also accompanied by a commitment that I want to change. I want to make it right. I want it to get better. So I just decided to shorten it all down into a definition that's easier to get a grasp on. And this is what I came up with. Repentance is sorrow for sin leading to change. Sorrow for sin leading 
to change. Now, I mentioned that Jesus preached repentance, but this is a message we see all through Scripture, even in the Old Testament, before Jesus shows up on the scene. You see God's people who get off track, who walk away from their relationship with God, and God says, listen, you need to repent. And it's not because God's up there ready to just judge them and condemn them and and send some terrible things their way. But it's because he wants them to come back to him and back to a relationship with him. For those who don't have a relationship with God, the need for repentance is there because it is our sins and our wrongdoings that provide a barrier between us and God. We see even before Jesus showed up in the New Testament, John the Baptist is the one who God sent to prepare the way for Jesus. And he is preaching, listen, the kingdom of God is near. The Messiah is coming. We need to be ready. And that means we need to repent of the sin in our lives. After Jesus came, we see that he sends the disciples out. They preach about repentance. We see the Apostle Paul being raised up from someone who persecutes Christians to be in a great evangelist. He preached repentance. On the day of Pentecost, when Peter gets up to preach and talk about how God had just poured out His Spirit on His people, he preaches about repentance. All through the New Testament, repentance is mentioned. So why is this idea about repentance so important? Why is it important that when a person gets to the point that they're open to receive the gospel and they're open to understand that I need Jesus in my life, why is it important that there's at least a discussion and understanding of repentance. You know, sometimes there are phrases that are used that are great phrases, and there's nothing wrong with them, but they're incomplete. We talk about how people need to invite Jesus into their heart. We, we talk to people about how they need to give their life to Jesus, and those things are certainly true. But without repentance, it's not complete. Because the problem is sin. And if the sin is not dealt with, then we can't have a relationship with Jesus. We can't have a relationship with God. It'd be sort of like going to the doctor and and you've got this cancerous growth in your body. And, and, And it's operable. I mean, they can take it out. It'll be gone. And he says, oh, we just want to make you feel better. So we're going to give you some drugs. We're going to tell you some things you can do, some things you can eat that will help you feel better while this cancer's in your body. It's like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Let's just take the cancer out. And so that's what repentance is all about. It's, it's we need to get rid of this cancer of sin from our lives so that we can have a relationship with Jesus, so we can have a relationship with God. That's why Jesus died, was to pay the price to remove that cancer of sin from our lives. So repentance is important. The second thing is belief. Jesus said, repent and believe. Paul said, repent and believe. Peter says, repent and believe. The disciples said, repent and believe. That belief. What is belief? Belief means complete trust or confidence in or reliance on someone or something. I know the word belief in general can apply to a lot of different things, but when we're talking about salvation, when we're talking about a relationship with God, Belief is that trust and confidence in that reliance on Jesus Christ. In John chapter 1, verses 11 and 12, it says, Jesus came to his own, his own people, and his own people did not receive him. 
But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Jesus came. He was accepted by some and rejected by others, but those who accepted him, those who believed in him, put their trust in him, put their confidence in him, were enabled to become children of God. Now, it did mention believe in his name. And perhaps if you're familiar at all with scripture, you know that sometimes it talks about believing in the name of Jesus. And even in the Old Testament, it talks about the name of the Lord. And, and that's just... Uh, uh, that's just a, a, a cultural thing that when you talked about a person's name, you were talking about who that person was or who that person is and everything they stood for and what they accomplished because your name represents who you are. And so to believe in the name of Jesus, to trust in the name of Jesus, literally means to believe in Jesus, who he is and what he did and to put your confidence in that. In Acts chapter 16, verse 31 Paul is preaching and he says, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. So you have repentance, you have belief, belief in who Jesus is and what he did by dying on the cross and raising from the dead. But can I tell you that that belief is more than just recognizing and acknowledging facts. Someone might say, you know, I believe in Jesus. I believe everything the Bible says about Jesus. I believe that Jesus is God, you know, and he always has been God. That's what the Bible teaches. I believe he came to earth. He became a man. I believe he did some great things. I believe he died on the cross. I believe he was buried. I believe he rose again. I believe he ascended into heaven. I believe he's coming someday. I believe all those truths, and that is a tremendously good foundation upon which to rest our full belief, but it's not adequate. In fact, you know, James says in his book, I didn't put the, the, the passage in my notes here, but James, in his letter to Christians, he says, you know what, all the demons believe that too. So if your belief is just in the facts, you got demon faith. That sounds weird, doesn't it? Actually, it means you have the same faith a demon would have because they believe the facts too. You see, it's not just acknowledging and recognizing facts as true. It's putting your trust in it. Okay? It's depending upon it. You know, I could bring one of these chairs up here and set it on the platform. And I could say, you know, this is a nice chair. This is a sturdy chair. I believe this chair will hold my weight if I sit on it. But until I actually sit on it, I'm not demonstrating my faith, am I? I'm not acting on my faith. I haven't fully given, um, what's the word I'm looking for? I haven't fully committed myself to that faith. In fact, if you say, well, prove it, sit on it, and I wouldn't sit on it, you'd be saying, well, I don't know if you really believe that chair can hold your weight. I know it's a silly little illustration, but it points to the need we have to not just recognize and acknowledge the truths about Jesus Christ and what he did and who he is, but we need to put our trust in him. We need to depend upon him. What does that look like? What that means is that we say, Jesus, your word says that you are God, you came to earth and you died on the cross to pay the price for my sins, so I'm putting my trust in that. 
I am going to trust in what you did for my salvation. I'm not going to trust in being good enough. I'm not going to trust in the fact that I'm a pretty good person, you know, that maybe I deserve it, but I'm going to put my trust in you. My faith is in you and what you did. I'm going to depend upon that. And I'm going to commit myself to that. Now, it's important that we have both of these things. You see, when we have repentance, but not faith, basically we feel bad for what we've done and we try to be a better person. And that can help us a lot in becoming a better person. But we won't have forgiveness of sins. And we need that forgiveness to have a relationship with God. We can say, well, you know what? I'm going to put my trust in Jesus, but we don't have repentance. And as we just talked about, that if we claim to have faith, but our life doesn't change, it means we're not really truly putting our trust in God and we're not really sorry for our sins. That's not real faith. We need to have both of these things. One without the other is insufficient. So how do we communicate that with people? Let me just share with you some very simple steps to sharing the good news. Some very simple steps to sharing the gospel. And it gets down to those two concepts, repent and believe. Repent and believe. The first step, the first point is God's plan. God's plan. What is God's plan for people? God's plan for people is peace and life with him. The Bible makes it very clear that God loves you. God loves me. God loves the world. God loves us all and wants us to experience peace in life and wants us to have a relationship with him. And I've said this so many times, but God has a better plan for your life than you do. He really does. But so often we pursue our own. The verse that best describes us and tells us is one that is one of the most well-known verses in the Bible. It's John 3.16. It says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. God loves us. God loves me. God loves you. God loves those of you that are watching online and He wants you to experience His peace, His joy, and a close relationship with him. You know, some would say, well, if sin is the reason why we can't have or we don't have or we're not born with a close relationship with God, shouldn't we talk about sin first? And there may be certain circumstances and people that you're in conversation with that maybe that does need to be mentioned first. I've got it second. But the reason why I put that first is the fact that that really is the foundation of what God wants for us. And not only that, but most of the time, if you are having a conversation with someone, you're in a relationship with someone, you've gotten to that point in your conversation that they're open to uh, discuss spiritual truths. They know that they've blown it. They know that they've got problems. They know that there's stuff in their life that needs to be dealt with. And they need to know that God still loves them anyway. And God still reaches out to them. And God wants to have a relationship with them. But that does lead to the second point that we want to communicate to people. And again, 
depending on the situation, maybe this should be the first point, and we need to reverse it a little bit. Maybe we need to deal with this first, and then come back to God's love for us, and that he's taking care of the problem. But the second point is this, is that we do have a problem. And our problem is that our sin separates us from God. Just because God loves us and He wants us to have a relationship with Him, He wants us to be at peace with Him, it isn't automatic because we are born with sin in our lives and then we live our lives giving ourselves over to sin to some degree or another. And so we have this problem. Our sin separates us from God. Romans 3.23 says, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. God is a holy, righteous God. And God wants us to be holy and righteous. He can make us holy and righteous. That's why Jesus died. But we're not that way naturally. We're not that way from birth. And we need that situation taken care of. Because where Romans 23 says, all of sin and fall short of the glory of God, Romans 6.23 says, the wages of sin is death. In other words, because we have sin in our lives, we will die. And not just physically, but spiritually. When sin came into the world through Adam and Eve, it started the whole death process. And so we have this problem. But the good news is, is, is that God provided solutions. So, so when we look at these first two points, we see that, um, that God initiated something to take care of our problem. So the third idea is this, that God has a solution. That God has a solution, and it's the cross. It's the cross. God's love bridges the gap of separation between us and Him. And He did it through the cross. Here's the statement that encapsulizes that whole truth. When Jesus Christ died on the cross and rose from the grave, He paid the penalty for our sins. In other words, we owed because of our sin. The wages of sin is death. That's what we earned. But Jesus paid the price for our sins so that we could have life. You know, I quoted from Romans 6.23 earlier, but I only quoted the first half of the verse. When you read the whole thing, it says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. We deserve death because of our sin. But God sent Jesus. Jesus willingly came and died so that we could have the free gift of eternal life. Peter puts it this way in 1 Peter 2.24. He says that Jesus himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, talking about the cross, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. I often use the illustration, and if you've been coming to church here for any amount of time, then you'll recognize this, that, that our sin is like a great chasm between us and God. That we're on one side of the chasm, God and His life, uh, with uh, his, his life and everything that He offers to us is on the other side of the chasm. But we can't get across that chasm because it's deep and it's too wide for us to jump across. Now, some of us can jump farther than others. You know, you can try this if you want to. Go home this afternoon and see how far you can jump. Some of you might be lucky if you can just kind of get ahead a couple feet, you know. Most of us could probably jump several feet. 
Maybe some of the younger and stronger among us with a running start could jump a bunch of feet. But if you would picture this chasm of sin being the size of the Grand Canyon, does it really matter how far you can jump? No. And I use that illustration because sometimes people feel like, well, yeah, I know there's sin in my life, but you know I'm better than other people. And I'm trying really hard. And that'd be sort of like someone who tries really hard to jump really far, and maybe they can jump farther than anybody else, but they're not going to jump across the Grand Canyon. And there's absolutely nothing that we can do from our side to make things right. But the good news is going back to the first point that God loves us and he wants a relationship with us. That he made the way possible. And so that's why Jesus came. And I've seen pictures, perhaps you have too, of a chasm that represents our sin between us and God. But there's a bridge across that chasm and that bridge is the cross. And that really is the truth of it. It's because of Jesus' death on the cross that we have a way to cross that chasm of sin to have a relationship with God. And that leads us to the fourth truth that we want to communicate. And and you don't have to use these exact same words, but the fourth truth that we want to communicate with people when they're open to that is that we need to respond to that. What is our response? We need to receive Christ and His gift of salvation. To receive Christ... And his gift of salvation. A little earlier I read from John chapter 1. And I want to reread verse 12. And it says, To all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. When we receive Christ, when we believe in him, keeping in mind, what is that definition of believe? It means we're putting our trust in him instead of ourselves then God welcomes us as his children. So how do we do that? How do we do that? And how do we share that with others? How do we help others understand how they can do that? Let me just give that to you uh, real quick before we try to wrap this up, okay? So to receive Christ or or to put your faith in Christ, there's a couple ideas here. First First of all, we have to admit that we're a sinner. We have to admit that we're a sinner. Remember we said the two basic ideas is repent and believe, repent and believe. This is the first part of repentance. It's being willing to admit that I was wrong. I've done things that were not right. I've done things that are against God's plan and God's best for me and the people around me. I am a sinner. And then the second step is to ask for forgiveness and be willing to turn away from your sins. That's the second half of repentance, right? We admit that we've done wrong. We admit that there's something that's not right in our lives. And I'm asking for forgiveness and I want to change. And that wanting to change is so important because, you see, if we don't want to change, we're not really repentant. We're not really repentant. In 1 John, we have that great promise of God that if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so in those first two steps, we have the repentance part. I'm a sinner. God, forgive me. I want to change. Then we get to the last two parts, and it has to do with the believe. Number three, believe that Christ died for you on the cross. The truths that we've just shared, the truths that are evident all through Scripture, especially as we get past the cross in the New Testament, that's why Jesus came. He died for you. He died for me to pay the price 
for our sins. I'm going to believe that. And I'm not just going to believe that fact, but I'm going to put my trust in it. And then we get to the fourth thing. Invite Christ into your heart and life. Invite Christ into your heart and life. In other words, you take a step to put that belief into action. You actually sit in the chair to use the illustration I said before. I don't just believe that this chair can hold my weight, but I'm going to sit in it. I don't just believe that Jesus died for my sins, but I'm going to put my trust in it and not in myself. Romans chapter 10, verse 13 says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Can I tell you, and and most of you know this because you've experienced this. Most of you know this because you've been through this. I know that what I'm telling you today is not something that's like, ah, man, I've never heard this before because most of you heard this at some point and you responded to it. But the only reason I'm taking so much time this morning, and I know that this message is more of a teaching than a preaching, it's more of an instruction than a heart motivation, stir uh, whatever me up, but because it's so important that we have a good, clear understanding of these truths so that Jesus can use us to touch the people in the world around us. Again, not so we can take this message and force it down their throat. That's not the intent at all. But so that as we are in our world, among our families, in our communities, at school or at work, wherever we go and we have relationship with people and we build that relationship and we talk about things that are important and we say, God, give me an opportunity to talk about the most important thing and that is Jesus Christ and what He's done for me. And when He opens that door, we can be be confident about what to share with them. We can be confident about that. But when you have the privilege of sharing this with someone and God's been working in their heart, it is just so simple then for them to respond. It is just so simple for them to begin that relationship because you see, there aren't a whole bunch of hoops you got to jump through. That's the whole point. We can't. We're helpless and hopeless without Jesus. It's all dependent on Him. It just requires a simple confession and commitment to God that says something like this, Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner and I ask you to forgive me. I believe you died for my sins and you rose from the dead and I'm going to trust you and follow you as my Lord and Savior. Guide my life and help me to live for you and to do your will. In Jesus' name, amen. Just a simple prayer. God, I'm a sinner. I repent. Please forgive me. I want to do better, but I can't. I need your help. But that's why Jesus came. So I'm putting my trust in Him. Now help me. Just simple, simple, simple. And most of you are so familiar with this and are so familiar with these basic basic truths because most of the time when I'm preaching, no matter what I'm preaching about, at some point in that message, I'm going to real quick give you those basic truths. Because no matter what I'm preaching about on any particular Sunday, there may be somebody that is here or somebody that's watching online, just like there may be somebody here today or somebody watching online that you've not yet taken those steps. And I want you to understand the good news. That is my number one reason for doing it almost every time I preach. But the number two reason is so that you hear it so much that you could you could probably tell people that. You mean, I think you can, but you probably can. 
because you've heard it so many times. As we wrap this all up and our worship team, you can prepare to come. We've mentioned throughout this series of sermons that we want to be used by God to touch the people in our world. And it's great to help them, and we should, because God cares about every need that people have. And it's great to be an encouragement to people. It's great to have good relationship with people. But the most important thing people need is salvation. And it's the thing the enemy wants to keep us from sharing with others. And I'm really hoping that by going through this series these last four weeks, that it has stirred our hearts to say, you know what, I really can be used by God. I mean, I know I need to learn some more stuff, and I know God's still at work in my life, and I need to, you know, become more what He wants me to be, but He wants to use me right now. And I hope that that's given you that confidence, and that even though it may be a little scary to say, oh, so so I really need to start talking to people about Jesus. You know, when God opens the door, in my family, at school, at work, wherever I go, I hope that maybe you feel more confident in doing so, and more stirred, to do so. You see, here's a definition of evangelism we've been talking about, that evangelism is intentionally engaging others in spiritual conversations that could lead to sharing the gospel, the truth about Jesus Christ. We develop relationships with people or we already are in relationships with people and we continue to grow in those relationships and try when God makes it possible to steer the conversation to spiritual things that we can tell them about Jesus. There's so many different ways to do that. You know, I share with you the basic truths today. There are other scriptures you can use. There are things called tracts that can be very helpful, little booklets that explain the gospel. We have some. If you'd like some, I'll give you some. Just let me know. When you came in today, they were giving out these little packets of things. Um, these cards, perhaps you took a look at them, perhaps you didn't, maybe you just left it the way it is. Those were given to us by a great organization called Every Home for Christ, and they're called Conversation Starters. I encourage you to take that home. Take a look at it. If you didn't get one when you came in, they're out in the lobby. Take one, take two, it doesn't matter, but it's basically a pack of cards, and there's not playing cards, but there's four different types of cards, and they're speaking to people's deepest needs when their life's a mess when they need hope. Who is Jesus? And it's very simple on the back. It just gives some basic information and it gives them a place where they can go to learn more about Jesus. It's not meant to be the only thing you'll ever use to share with people about Jesus, but just to be a conversation starter. It's the type of thing you can give to someone. You can leave with a tip. You can do whatever. And every home for Christ makes these available for free. And so we give them to you for free. We've got plenty of them. Take as much as you want. And they like to encourage people There's 50 cards in that pack, I believe. To try to have a conversation with one person, at least one person a week, that points to Jesus and give them that card. And then pray that God would, out of those conversations, allow you to develop a close enough relationship with someone that you can really impact their life and hopefully lead them to come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. And that's the challenge I take upon myself today and I leave before you. If you're already a Christian, which most of you probably are, you've experienced God's blessing in your life. You have eternal life. 
You know what it is to experience the joy and to experience His help in the things that you go through. May God use us to help other people to discover that same thing. Can we all stand together? I'm just going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. As I've shared today, the conclusion of this whole series about the gospel, about the good news, about what we need to be saved. Jesus already did all the work, but what we need to do, what we need to believe, what we need to, uh, to carry out. I'm fully aware that even though most of the people here and most of the people online are already Christians, you've already done this, that there may be those that are here or those that are online that you have not yet stepped over that line. You have not yet taken that step to say, you know what, I am a sinner. I need a Savior. And I want Jesus to come into my life to forgive me and to help me to live for Him. And so I just want to ask today, before we close our time together, that if that's you, would you just raise your hand? If you say, you know, I've never, I, I, maybe you've believed all this stuff, maybe you've heard all this stuff, but you have never came to that point of commitment, of surrender, of confession, of admission, that you're a sinner in need of a Savior. And today, you want to repent of your sin and you want to ask Jesus to forgive you. And you want to put your trust in Him. Anybody at all, you say, that's me. That's me. You know, there may be some people that are watching online or listening today or some other time. And I want to give them opportunity to respond to this. So I would just say, I want to, I want to say that prayer. And if you need Jesus as your Savior, I encourage you to pray those same truths from your heart and to mean them with all of your heart. Dear Jesus, I come to you today and I admit that I am a sinner. And your word says that my sin separates me from you. And I ask that you forgive me. I'm sorry. I wish it was different, but it's not. I'd like it to be different, but I can't do it by myself. I thank you that your word says that you died to pay the price for my sins. I believe that. And not just with my head, but with my heart. And I want to put my trust in you. So I surrender my life to you. Be my Savior. Be my Lord. Help me to live for you and to grow in that relationship. I ask you in Jesus' name. Amen. Can I tell you that if you prayed that prayer, you have a relationship with Jesus. And now it's time for you to grow in that relationship with Jesus. We're going to do one more thing before we close. I'm going to ask our elders to come. And our worship team is going to lead us in a song. And you may be here today and, and you, you know Jesus, but you need God's touch in some other area of your life. We're just going to take a couple of moments. But as we sing this song, if you would like someone to pray with you, for a need you have or maybe you're concerned about someone else and you want somebody to join with you we want to pray with you come during this time we'll pray with you and I'll come back and close the service in just a couple of minutes Hallelujah. Father we love you today we thank you Lord for your goodness to us we thank you Lord for your presence here with us 
And God, I just pray that you'd help us, Lord God. I pray that you'd work in my heart, in my life. I thank you that I have a relationship with you. I'm assured of my salvation. I haven't got it all perfect yet. I'm still learning. I'm still growing. I still make mistakes sometimes, Lord God. But I thank you that I'm your son. I thank you that Jesus died for me. And that I have that assurance of my salvation. And of your love. God, I pray that you'd stir my heart. I pray that you would stir our hearts as your people to want other people to have that same experience and to want it so badly, Lord God, that we are willing to overcome our fears, that we're willing to step beyond the barriers the enemy's put in our way, that we'd be willing to face the fact that people may think of us differently, look at us a little bit differently, so that we can be good representatives, Lord God, of Jesus in our world. Father, I pray that you'd help us in our relationships, the ones we have now, and ones that you may lead us to start and to develop and to grow in. God, open up doors for us to share with people about spiritual truths, to about their need for a Savior and your willingness to save them and the price you paid that that could be possible. And God, work in their hearts. I pray that you'd give us the privilege, Lord God, of planting seeds, of watering seeds, of shining light on seeds that have already been planted, and then, Lord God, to maybe one day to actually lead someone to that place where they're ready to surrender their life to Christ. And Father, we thank you and we praise you, Lord God, that you want to use us, and you will use us as we trust in you. God, we give you the glory and the honor and the praise. In Jesus' name, and everybody said... Amen. Amen. God bless you. Just know that when you walk out those doors, you're going into a mission field. So be a good missionary. We hope you've enjoyed listening to today's message or Bible study. For more information, please contact us at area code 352-347-3001 or visit us online. If you are interested in supporting this ministry, go to our website and click on the online giving tab. Our website address is www.marionoaksag.org.